0: Julian, welcome to episode 36 of An American Journey, and I'm back, almost fully recovered from my operation.
1: Well, that is good news, Michael.
0: Yeah, I'm off the clutches and hopping about like a good one.
1: Delighted to hear that.
0: So what have we got on tonight then? As always, Julian, you've, you liked the odd controversial issue, so bank robberies, hurricane preparation, and the place we're going to visit today is the Grand Canyon. So we're going to start with
1: preparing for a hurricane, aren't we? Yeah.
0: Is that because you're living in Florida, Julian, and you're expecting one any day now? Well, sort of.
1: Earlier this week, I was lounging in the sea with Lorna. We were enjoying the nice warm sun and the very uh, flat sea and the very warm sea. And it's very easy to get blasé And to think that sort of there is this sort of wonderful idyll. But of course, occasionally, in the case of Florida, once every three years, a hurricane will hit the state. While I was feeling very uh, safe and secure in the sea, I was saying to Lorna, look, we really ought to go and buy some stuff just in case a, a, a hurricane does develop and we have to, we have to keep ourselves alive for, for a couple of weeks until the authorities sort things out. So, yeah, so that's what uh, this session's all about, is how you prepare for a hurricane. So
0: it begs the question, when you said you're going to buy some stuff, what stuff do you buy in preparation for a hurricane? I presume not a tent. <laughs>
1: no you don't buy a tent actually we missed the opportunity to buy things tax-free there is a week or 10 days early on in the season where you can buy your hurricane preparedness stuff and you don't have to pay the state sales tax so we missed that opportunity you just make sure that you've got uh, lots of water 28 gallons worth of water all of your food you have your pet food. That you've got all of your devices. We bought lots of batteries for torches and so forth. Um, so that's the type of thing you buy. And if you're really prepared, then you buy yourself a generator. Buy some yourself some diesel to put in that generator.
0: Okay. Fight or flee concept of a hurricane because when in the UK, yeah. I suspect we only hear about severe ones. And at that point, what you see is the uh, you know the. The roads absolutely chocker with people leaving so uh, what right. what's the how do they decide whether you stay there and sit it out as you would do with your preparations or whether you say get out of there very quickly what's what's the rationale for that uh,
1: it's it's an excellent question uh, and of course a lot of people get very blase here if you live in Florida all the time, you know there's always storms I mean, we have a storm every pretty much every day there'll be thunder and lightning and we'll get some rain for for an hour or maybe two hours every single day. So you get very sort of blasé about bad weather, but there's bad weather and there's hurricanes. What do you know about hurricanes, Michael? Not a lot, not know? a lot.
0: lot of wind, lot of rain, and avoid them if you possibly can. Although there are a lot of these people who, who chase them, don't they, to, to, to see the eye of the storm, so to speak.
1: Well, I think they chase tornadoes yeah. slightly more than they do hurricanes. But uh, uh, some people say if you're in the eye of a hurricane, you know, it's a fantastic experience, you yeah. know, to sort of observe all the things around you. The Taino people, uh, who are the indigenous Caribbean, I'm not sure i pronounced that correctly. They're the indigenous Caribbean people. They had a word called hurrican, uh, which for them meant god of storm. And a hurricane is is a hurricane when it hits... At 74 miles per hour. That's, you know, that's the speed. Anything below 74 miles an hour is something else. So essentially, a hurricane is a tropical cyclone and it's a large rotating weather system with no fronts. And the quicker it rotates, the more dangerous it is. So, you know, if it's below 39 miles an hour, that's a depression. 39 to 73, that's a tropical storm. And then you hit into hurricanes and they have these uh uh these sort of five categories from the the Sapphire Simpson, category one, two, three, and four. So category one, you'll get some damage. So that's up until 95 miles an hour. Uh, category two, that will be a, a bit more damage. And then category three, then you get to sort of devastating damage and then catastrophic damage, and then you get uninhabitable. So really, when it moves to about uh, over 111 miles an hour, that is when they want you to evacuate. But before that, then it's manageable, and you might get a bit of damage. You might get the odd palm tree, uh, you know, which falls. But, uh, you you know, before that, that, you know, people tend to stay at that point. It's only once in every 3 years that uh, an actual hurricane will hit uh, Florida. There will be round about 12 or so hurricanes that form in the Atlantic every year and then of those, you know, 36 in a 3-year period, one of them would hit Florida. So, it's quite easy to get blasé about it and to not worry too much, but everyone in Florida has the weather app on their phone. And uh, they're ready to go, you know, if a big one's about to hit. And,
0: and there's a recognised season, isn't there? Is it, is it like July through to November, early October?
1: Well, the season is, strictly speaking, June, uh, beginning of June to the end of uh, November. But the reality is it's July to the end of October. Hurricane can only form when the, uh, the water is above uh, 80 degrees Fahrenheit, 26.5 degrees centigrade. And, it's, uh, and that goes down to about 50 metres. You have to have that condition for a hurricane to form. And what the hurricane does, it uses the warm water as fuel for its power. As the water gets cooler, when it goes below 26.5 degrees centigrade, then there's no chance of a hurricane.
0: And I'm like right to think, you mentioned earlier, that is the eye of the storm. It is possible that, you know, sort of uh, as the hurricane comes in, obviously there is destruction and rain and high winds but there is a centre of the storm where it's suddenly there's a there's a lull it's very quiet before you go to the next part yeah so so if, if you could somehow stay in that bit in the middle you'd be fine
1: <laughs> yeah you can i mean i've i've heard people being interviewed and saying how tranquil how quiet it was at the eye of the storm but of course You know, the next bit is when you're no longer in the eye of the storm and then you've got this vast wind, you know, destroying everything in its path. So, you know, bad things are about to come if you've just if you've just been in the eye. This season has been really quiet. Today, we had the first uh, we had E Hurricane Earl, which has been, uh, you know, named for the first time. It's somewhere in in the Atlantic. Uh, But you usually are much later letters by this stage of the season early-ish September, the first half of September. Of course, that doesn't mean to say we haven't got a really big one on the way over the next few months. Florida has had four Category 5 hurricanes hit its shores. Uh, So Hurricane Andrew, that was 177 miles an hour in 1992. Hurricane Camille, nobody knows how fast it was because it destroyed all of the measuring equipment, but they reckon that was 200 miles an hour. And we've had two others, including Hurricane Michael, Michael.
0: Is Katrina, was that one?
1: Uh, Katrina, I think, was a, it was a lower category yeah. one. It just had a much more devastating yeah. effect. Okay. So, And, of course, that hit New Orleans, not Florida.
0: And what's the extent of them, Julian? I mean, because you, you, we're talking about in Florida, but I'm right in thinking they can go into the Carolinas. Is that right? They, they go up the eastern seaboard? Because they're sort
1: of circling. And uh, so many of them miss the Americas altogether and they just go up into the North Atlantic and then just as the weather gets, as the water gets cooler, they just dissipate and eventually they become a storm in, in Europe. Some of them go straight on and they go into Central uh, America and then others, they go goes towards Central America and then they go up and they either go up and they hit the... You know, the coast further up, you know, so the Carolinas or even New York State, there've been some pretty devastating uh, uh, hurricanes in New York State or where I live. I live on the west coast of Florida. They go up and they go up through the Gulf and then either hit the west of Florida or hit the panhandle or hit New Orleans or something. So they can go in different directions. And this is very difficult. The direction they go, they can predict it, but they're not always accurate predicting which direction they're going to go. That's part of the challenge is, you know, it's making a decision. If you're going to go, when do you go? You know, if you go too late, then the roads are really horrendous. If you go too early, you're going to be leaving the state a lot for something which actually never comes near you. Yeah. And where I live, which is Venice, there have been two hurricanes, uh, one in 1928, before there were, you know, many people here. And then the second one in 1960, Hurricane Donna, which did very little damage indeed. People here are pretty blasé about it, because many people have been here all their life and never seen a hurricane.
0: And I take it, you've not experienced a hurricane yet? In, in your time living in the
1: States. No, it is entirely possible I could live here for the rest of my life and not experience mm. one. You know, you might prepare for one, but I never experience it. You know, you've got to make that decision. Do I evacuate or do I not? And if you evacuate, where are you going to evacuate to? You're going to evacuate to another state, uh, in which case then you're going to go up the I-75, which is the motorway, the highway, you know, which leaves, um, or one of them, which leaves uh, Florida, uh, what they do, if there's a hurricane, they've got six or eight lanes of this uh, of this motorway. They just have one going south and the other five or seven then go north. But even so, that, that is very slow moving traffic. And then eventually you find yourself a motel or a friend to stay with somewhere in Georgia, maybe Atlanta. So, or you move to a different part of the state or, you, you know, just for, you know, for however long. And there are also some shelters. So a lot of the local schools are used as shelters. And you go to a local school uh, and you're given a bit of floor. Um, the real challenge is not the actual hurricane itself, it's the aftermath. This is the decision you have to take. Because if you, a hurricane comes in, it will probably take with it a lot, of its, a lot of the infrastructure. So you won't have any power, you won't have any water for a period of time. That's why they say you need two weeks of food and water in order to, you know, in order to survive during that period. And, and two weeks in Florida without air conditioning, that would be a pretty horrible thing to do. That really is the decision that you're making. What's the chance of it happening? And then secondly, do you really want to deal with the aftermath of it? And that's why earlier this week we went to Ollie's Good Things Cheap. We purchased, you know, multiple gallons of water and uh, batteries and so forth.
0: Okay, and if I can give an, an slider's view as reported into the UK, so uh, the one is it would seem to me they're getting much better at predicting them. So they're sort of they're yes. knowing what's going to happen. Um, there's always a ubiquitous sign of some guy uh, putting. Um, uh, uh, some sort of shuttering or uh, boarding up over a premise so that you realise, just looking look what he's doing, there's no way it's going to survive a hurricane because the whole thing should have been condemned anyway. But good luck to him. Right. But then the other, which is more simple is that the recovery afterwards is like, well, you've been there before. Why does it take them so long to recover? I, it, it seems that the getting the resources to people quickly, you know, you know seems to be difficult. And in um, a. Yeah, you know, an economy as, as great and as wealthy as, as the United States, it always strikes me, very indeed, put a slightly political issue to it, you get the sense of certainly the blacks complaining that they're not being looked after, because, because the communities are are slower at responding to them. Would that, would that be fair?
1: Okay, well, you've raised lots of issues in what you've just said. So let's start with do you remember the waffle house
0: test <laughs> the, wa- the waffle <laughs> was that the one if there's not a fight you don't go in it's not worth going <laughs> yeah well you said waffle
1: house is um it well indeed it has that reputation but waffle house fema which is the federal organization which coordinates responses to these type of disasters it has a waffle house test if it, if the waffle house is closed in the area that uh, <laughs> then there really truly is a disaster man of proportions. <laughs> so, yeah. so first Let's of all, like they that. see whether the Waffle House is open. <laughs> if it's open, then probably things aren't too bad. If it's closed, things are truly bad. I remember a few years ago, we drove down to Key West. It was a couple of months, maybe even three months after Hurricane Irma, and as you know, going down that drive, it's, uh, you know, it's a fantastic drive, but it's mainly one lane one way and one lane the other. And as we were driving, there were 60 miles worth of debris on both sides of the road, piled high. I don't know how high, 20 foot high, piled with debris from houses, palm trees, children's playgrounds, all of those things which have been destroyed by the hurricane. When we were driving, this was months after Irma, we were absolutely astonished at how much damage this hurricane had done. And so I think it's important that you remember that these things can be completely devastating. And so therefore, the response in any area, even an area as rich as you know the Keys, can take a long time. Do they look after the richer areas quicker than the poor areas? I don't know the the data on that. It probably is true, but uh, I don't know the data on that. It it may well be that richer people have access to the authorities to mm. to ask them to hurry up in their areas rather than the poor areas. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But, and, and my um, case. You know, certainly you do hear these yeah. complaints each time, and certainly with uh, New Orleans that appeared to be yeah. the case.
0: And quality of housing is important, isn't it, Julian? So if you're in a hurricane and you're in a brick building and suggest that right. the more wealthy people live in brick buildings or the poor right. people live in poor quality wooden buildings, by definition, that poor people are going more impacted by a storm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And you get these mobile home yeah. communities and a hurricane goes through one of those and there's nothing left. Yeah. If you've stayed... That's where you get the regrettable deaths, I think, in those type of communities. I'm not
0: wishing to put you on the spot, but I'm sure you've done the research. How many people roughly die per year in hurricanes in the States?
1: About 45 per year.
0: Okay, 45 per year. Yeah, I knew you'd have the stat.
1: Meaningful, but not No,
0: not significant. Not, not huge. <laughs> not compared to road accidents or whatever.
1: No, but they can be. You know, you can get thousands who die. Yeah. yeah. Um, particularly if it Destroy something like a a levee or something like that. They're using modern technology better. So, drones they're using as a mechanism to identify where electricity is down. So, they, you know, electricity and water, that's the most important thing for them to restore. Once people have done that, then people usually can find a a way of getting by.
0: And coming back to buildings, not only are people wooden buildings, most of your power lines above ground. So consequently, that's also a point that gets hit where hurricanes come, isn't it? Is that right?
1: Yes, certainly where we are, they're above ground. I mean, it's very sandy where we are, um, as we're right by the beach. So you will see a lot of people here have hurricane windows, um, Mm. and those who don't, they usually board up their windows if a hurricane's coming. Uh, And, of course, the most important thing is to take in everything that is movable from outside. So if you've got benches or whatever... You don't want those outside in a hurricane. Otherwise, your bench will be hitting someone else's house or someone else's car or or maybe someone else. So you've got to bring everything in.
0: Yeah, and, and of course, not to make fun of it, but of course, um, and I, I don't know what the attraction is at Disney where you do it, but where you experience yeah. a hurricane and you see the cow shoot across the road. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I can't remember which one that is. Yeah. Uh, it's very good though, isn't It's very it? good, yeah, it's very good.
0: So it's actually the hurricanes. That's it. That's you're preparing now in there for to Find all our British viewers, and listeners, from going to the states between July and August, October. Well, yeah, I, th- I would say you know,
1: but but this year, of course, it's been fabulous. Yeah. So the weather's been terrific. Yeah. But in general, I would never suggest um, going to Florida in July to uh, October.
0: Thank okay. you. And on that point, we'll close that Shakespeare, Show we, Julian. probably fair to say, Julian, that for people who like adventure, who like outdoors, I like geography, mountains, canyons, waterfalls, going to the Grand Canyon in the States would probably be their number one destination. What do you think? I
1: think it's a terrific destination of your adventure-loving person. Uh, However, I was talking to long-term listener Aileen only this morning, and she said she was very disappointed when she went to Grand Canyon. And I think her experience is shared by a lot of people because a lot of people just drive up to the South Rim. They get out of their car. They spend a bit of time peering over the edge and they walk a little bit along the edge. And then an hour later, they get back in their car and drive off again. And that to me is a is not a great experience. I've done that experience and it's not... You know, you don't really see the true wonder of uh, the Grand Canyon. You need to do something a little bit more adventurous uh, than just peer over the edge.
0: Well, I, I'm, I'm 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 staggered because I would say, and like you, my very first experience, I drove down from Denver uh, to the to the North Rim, and it is yes. I, I think it's one of those wow moments. You, it's like you have seen it, in, you know, on pictures and on the TV, right. and, and yes, you walk up to the wall and you look and you think this is something. Like, yeah, I've never seen before. So so Right. I, I get the bit around that once you've seen it you probably say well, that's great, let's go and have a milkshake. But your first time seeing the Grand Canyon, it is like nothing on earth, I think. And you've
1: been to the North Rim and I haven't been to the North yeah. Rim. It may be a better experience from the North Rim. From the South Rim, it's so commercial. Yeah. And you're so Divided the wall, lots of walls in the way to stop you sort of getting anywhere near the edge. That to me, it's um, yeah, it is a magnificent site, but you've kind of seen that site before because you've seen pictures. So to me. I think you have to do something a little bit more adventurous in the, in the Grand Canyon, like go rafting through it or maybe fly over it or, or fly and land at the bottom or, or walk down and walk up. You know, you've got to do one of those experiences if you're going to get you know, what you said at the beginning for the adventurous people.
0: Name check two friends, um, Liz and Kim, who are going to the Grand Canyon. Uh, later this year and ask me that question mm-hmm. I think you're going to tell me the answer do, do we go to the North Rim do we go to the South Rim what advice do you give Julian having not been to the North Rim
1: well there's also an East and a West Rim
0: uh, yeah well of course
1: and at the moment the cool place to go is the West Rim why is that because the West Rim has the Skywalk
0: I, I was going you've to you've talk about that. that yes that. yes. Yeah. I
1: we've seen them in various different places we went to one uh, earlier this year in uh, in Switzerland But this is where you're sort of walking over this glass floor and you can see below you, you know, right into the bottom of the canyon. Also on the West Rim, you have the Havasu Falls and the Havasupai uh, Indian tribe. There's only uh, a couple of ways of getting in there. You can, uh, well, three ways. You can hike, you can go by horse, or you can go by helicopter. That we had planned a number of years ago. Uh, there was some rock fall or something and so access into that valley was uh was was completely uh impossible. So we weren't able to do that. A lot of people like to do that uh, that skywalk. Um I think it cost uh thirty nine dollars to do that uh, to do that skywalk.
0: And I did some research I did some research so let me a couple of the facts. Um it's actually uh, just over four and a half thousand feet in elevation. But actually, yes. the walk itself is about three hundred and fifty feet above the canyon. Yeah. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I think I'm right. What I was going to say about it? It's U shaped, isn't it? You right? It's glass bottom. Yes. Um, at a place called Eagle Point, is that right?
1: I think it is. Yes. yes. I, as I say, I've not been there. We were going to go there, and then the reason we we're going there, the you know, the trip to the yeah. Havasu Falls, you know, you couldn't get there. So. Yeah. And for those of a nervous
0: disposition. It is built to hold 820 people, but the only maximum allowed is 120. Yeah, so it's pretty safe. But it, and and having, not been, having not been there, it's definitely on my to-do list, and it does look spectacular. It looks spectacular.
1: And I think that's where a lot of the cooler kids are going these days. Um, and obviously, it's closer to Vegas. Um, have you flown over it or taken a helicopter ride over Well, it? I
0: was going to say, and hopefully we'll get sponsorship from this plug, Julian, but Maverick oh, yeah. Helicopters in Vegas. Yes. I commend you to do the sunset tour. As You obviously fly from Vegas, go into the canyon, drop in the canyon, have a glass yeah. of champagne, come mm-hmm. back. Fly back, and it, so
1: you landed at the bottom. Did you? And we got did. Out? We
0: did. We did. Yeah. in the canyon, and then I, mean, I remember the canyon's like two hundred and seventy odd miles long, isn't it? So, so there's 279 a lot of two hundred
1: and seventy nine miles yeah, yeah, long,
0: so, yeah. So there's a lot yeah. of canyons. So when people say we went to the bottom of the canyon, you know, uh, I have no idea what part of the canyon it was. It's, it's about what a 35, 45 minute flight from Vegas on a helicopter, something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. mm-hmm. so, so, so I think you're at know, the sort of bottom end of the canyon, so to speak. You know. The sunset is as defined, and it's the most magnificent red rocks, of course. Sun coming down, and you see the sun go down. Then does a very nice little trick. He says, would you like to see it again? And it drops up about 20 feet, and you see it come down again. Very clever. Right. And on the way back, it takes you along along the strip at night, because by then it's dark. It's expensive, but I would commend anybody who is doing it for the first time. And I get your point, Julian, if you want to an experience of seeing the canyon sort of close up as opposed from the wall, I think the helicopter is well worth doing, well worth doing.
1: Yeah, I didn't do the helicopter. I did the um, small plane one with Lorna once. The river in the canyon is 279 miles long and you get to see kind of the full expanse of the canyon uh, in one of those, uh, I can't remember whether it was a four or six person plane. You know, really was terrific. We didn't land at the bottom, though. That's the big attraction, I think, of going by helicopter. So yeah, so I think we're we're recommending that, aren't we? Especially if you're in Vegas or yeah. you, you know, or, or elsewhere to you know take a plane or take a helicopter. Uh, now you haven't walked down and walked up the canyon, no.
0: I, I mean, which I would imagine is, um, I mean, certainly because it's hot. People, I, oh, certainly hot at the top of the canyon. And it's a long way down, so what would it be? It's a day trip down almost.
1: From the South Rim, takes four or five hours to walk down, and it takes eight hours to walk up. Yes. So, And the uh, national parks are at pains to recommend that you do not do a day trip and walk up and down, because most people are not going to manage that. And it is extremely hot at the bottom of the canyon, Mm -hmm. and the summer months that probably would be something which would be on most people walking up and down. But in the winter months, uh, it would be fine. Now, the North Rim only has is only open in the summer months, isn't it? I it's think so, It's only open yeah. from June to October. Now, the other rim is the East Rim. There's some fantastic sights. I don't know if you've seen the Horseshoe Bend. That looks absolutely magnificent. Uh, but what most people do from the East Rim is, is they take one of the very many rafting exhibitions through the canyon. And you can do anything from one day to 18 days Gosh. Uh, rafting through the canyon. In most cases, if you do that rafting trip, if you're taking a shorter journey, like a three- or five-day journey, you've then got to walk up, up the canyon to the top, either the south or the north side. Okay. So that is something I would really like to do, and a friend of mine did it recently, and they did the whole thing, the whole 18 or 19 days. The canyon itself was formed by the river, the Colorado mm. River.
0: Taking, just to give, give some sense of it, around 70 million years to achieve that goal. So, yes. <laughs> so, so it was not a quick process.
1: Yeah, so I would like to do that. I haven't done that yet. I'm very unlikely to be able to persuade Lorna to do that for two or yeah. three weeks, um, because obviously as I understand it, during the whole time there's only one building which people see during that nineteen days of travel Gosh. and that is the one hotel, the, the the ranch in the middle of the canyon. That's the only man made site that you'll see during that entire time. Gosh. So if you wanted something which was just completely with nature, that would be something to take do to take one of those longer rafting trips. So, what are you going to recommend to your friends
0: then? Oh, well, I, given I know they're starting in Arizona, I, it's interesting. I, I might now change my view. I was said to them to go to the South Rim, but thinking yes. ahead now, maybe they could do the West Rim and do the mm-hmm. the, the Sky Bridge. Uh, I, I did look at it whether you could sort of, sort of do a huge loop round, but it. it I mean, it is a great view from the North Ridge, uh, North Rim. I like it, mm-hmm. but just geograph- geographically, it's a long drive, isn't it? It's a long drive if you're coming from the south.
1: The whole of the west is a long drive, yeah. and even getting to the South Rim is a long drive. To be honest, how active are they? Are they?
0: They're, they're, they're keen walkers.
1: Yeah, they, so they were keen on walking in and out. Yeah, think? I think
0: they might well be. So yes, I, yeah. I'll... So
1: you need to make sure that you've uh, you've booked the ranch at the bottom, books up ahead of, uh, you know, a reasonable amount of time but you know make sure you've got a a night in that ranch so that you can uh, rest ready for the walk up the next day.
0: Yeah, the eight hours, gosh I want to look forward to that But Julian, now uh, you, you, well, of course, and I think you're doing this deliberately you haven't mentioned the railway, have you? There is a railway, there is a there, railway There
1: is, there is. So the reason I don't like the South Rim yeah. is that it is filled with other commercial stuff to a uh, you know given that people are going to go to see the grand canyon they put a whole range of other family friendly stuff including a railway that you can take you know around that area and to me it's all a bit too the whole area is just a bit too twee okay. uh, and that would include the railway hey, did you take the train no we didn't but i knew mm. there was a railway
0: because it was driving and um, from williams yeah. to to the to the to the Ca- the canyon depot and of course you can then walk from the depot to the to the rim but i'm gonna yes. show you julian uh, i i watched the promo promo video i wouldn't recommend it a on the way there they have singing cowboys okay B, on the way back they have a mock cowboy robbery of of, of the train it, it looked horrendous. I mean, nice, <laughs> nice chain, nice views, but I was immediately put off. We will not be doing the railway to, to Grand Canyon. I think it's just
1: a wonderful piece of nature, yeah. And that kind of mankind sometimes has a way of spoiling that, and that, that that's why I would say don't do the South Rim. Do any of the other rims? I think if you're really if you've got time, do the the rafting yeah. journey. You don't have to do it for the whole way, but You know, do it for a few nights and that would be, I suspect, a just a wonderful experience.
0: I mean, having done it twice and and the first time, uh, and the Northam is is also quite commercialised. And I must admit, I was really irritated by the number of small planes taking off. They're quite near and you're hearing planes going up all the time. You're you're in this wonderful space and it's, you know, every five minutes there's a plane taking off. Having said oh, right. that, um, I'm somewhat hypocritical, of course. When I went to Vegas, I took a helicopter, and that was great. It, it was a great <laughs> view. So, so, yeah, if you're in the vicinity, you have to go to the Grand Canyon, even if it's just a day to look over the rim, because it's something to see mm-hmm. and marvel at. But I also agree with you, the more immersive the experience, how you're like going into the canyon, I suspect the more you appreciate it.
1: Yes, and, and what sort of mark would you be giving it?
0: Are we using my famous Premier League? Uh, No. (laughs) I'm going to go a four out of five. Geological features you should see in the world, it's right up there.
1: Yes. I would say if you're doing one of the more adventurous things, it is undoubtedly a five. If you do just the south rim and you stay there an hour and then you move off, I think you're going to be disappointed. It's a wonder of nature. It needs to be appreciated in solitary, uh, you you know, or or with you in nature, not with you surrounded by 10,000 of your closest friends.
0: So, Julian, why have you picked bank robberies? Well, they're very American, aren't they? Well, they have lots of banks, don't they? But do they have lots of robberies? The
1: answer is yes, they do. Uh, Michael, have you seen any Wild West films where there have been bank robberies? Lots of them. Lots of them. (laughs) So how many bank robberies do you think happened in the Wild West period? 40 years at the end of the 19th century. if you were watching um,
0: a TV programme like Laramie or Gunsmoke, yeah. you'd probably assume there was one once a month or maybe even one a week. But you've got to tell me, Julian, that actually they're not as frequent as, 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 as it's made out. In fact, they're quite a rarity, aren't they?
1: So how many in 40 years do you think there were? Oh,
0: gosh. 250.
1: Some estimates put it as low as eight. <laughs> Uh, But I have seen some other estimates of 15. So it's a very, very small number of which, of course, most of them were committed Jesse James or Butch Cassidy and his gang. But for some reason, and, and it's because of all these Westerns that we've seen, we think that they were completely ubiquitous. And the most dangerous thing you could be doing in that Wild West period would be to rob a bank. But of course, the answer is that is uh, not the case. And of course, part of the reason for this is that the gun laws were quite strict in the Wild West period and the World West states. And indeed, Dodge City banned guns altogether. If you're expecting Dodge City know, one of the most famous Western towns just had this complete ban on guns. Perhaps it's not that surprising there weren't that many bank robberies. And how many do you think there are a year today in the States? Michael? Well, I'm going
0: to go say there are not many now, Julian, thinking that maybe, well, you know, less than 20.
1: There are between five and 8,000 a year. <laughs> so the reality is that in most small cities, large towns in America, there are more bank robberies in a year than there were in the whole of the Wild West period. Gosh. So they're they're pretty ubiquitous bank robberies, and so therefore, strange enough, it's str- It was something which America was very famous for its bank robberies in the Wild West period when they had no robberies. Now it's not famous for its bank robberies, and they're ubiquitous. What do you think the bank's main concern about bank robberies is?
0: Uh, could it be the loss of money.
1: It is not the loss of money. <laughs> not the
0: loss of reputation. No. Loss of reputation. <laughs> nope. No. No. Um, uh, uh, concern for their staff. Sort
1: of. <laughs> it's liability. <laughs> liability. Uh, it's liability for for the staff and for the people in the bank. They're very concerned about the liability. They lose a, about five hundred million a year in bank robberies. Each bank robbery has a you know a fairly low sum of money that is, um, is, is taken in each bank robbery. Sorry,
0: sorry to interrupt, Julia. I was going to say, surely today, that the actual sum they can take in cash is a relatively small amount of money. I mean, what, what, what's the average, since you've been doing the research, what's the average take of a bank robbery today?
1: About 4,000 would be a good yeah, one.
0: Yeah, okay. So uh, yeah. yeah.
1: What the banks do, because they're concerned about liability, is they instruct their staff just to give the money to the bank robber and just hand over whatever is in their till to them. And also hand over a tracking device as well. Hide a tracking device within the money. That's what they, advice they give to their staff. And obviously, this does encourage the bank robber somewhat. What percentage of bank robbers have a gun?
0: Ooh. Now, now, this is every question for you. Think, I mean, I, my initial answer would be 80%. I'm going to say this time, no, less than 10%, Julian.
1: No, it's, it's about 35% people have a gun or say they have a gun. Most bank robberies, somebody hands over a, a note, they wait in line, <laughs> and then when it's their turn, they hand over a note saying, This is a bank robbery, give me your money. And then the person, the, the bank teller, puts their money into a bag along with the tracking advice, and gives it to the person. And then the person leaves the bank. So the average bank robbery, two-thirds of bank robberies, uh, take less than three minutes.
0: And if you were in the, pers- like in the queue with behind the person who has the bank robbery, would you know a bank robbery is taking place?
1: Almost nobody, apart from the bank robber and the teller, know that a bank uh, robbery has yeah, taken yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. So it used to be in the old days that banks would have a security guard with a gun. That's what you see in films, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Well nowadays they most of them got rid of their security person because a security person is likely to increase their liability that someone else will get shot in the you know in the in the crossfire or something. The robber hands the note over teller hands them a bunch of money, and then the person disappears now does that mean that it's a good thing to be a bank robber michael
0: um... As, a, as a, a long-term career, I'm going to say no, Julia, because um, I, I hope you to tell me the stats for capturing these bank robbers are very high.
1: About 70% clearance rate. 70? 7 zero, yes. Yes, yeah,
0: okay. So, yeah, so, So no, it's not, it's not a good idea to be a bank robber. You'll get caught.
1: No, and you get 20 years in jail. Yeah. Because uh, it's a federal offence. Uh, and five if you've actually taken a gun uh, on top of your 20. So, you're going to get away with it a few times. But eventually, build up a pattern, and then eventually you're going to get caught. What is the most common time for a bank robbery to take place?
0: Lunchtime. Lunchtime.
1: <laughs> no, early evening. Early so evening. Late afternoon. Late afternoon is the is the most common time because you'll have more money in your your till at that point. Okay. And Fridays, the majority of bank robberies happen on a Friday. Okay. So if you want to avoid a bank robbery, don't go into the bank on Friday. And
0: then See again. I'm thinking in today's society a cashless society you know yes um, i mean even the fact people don't even deposit money into banks no more do they i mean so so ha, ha, the average till co- won't have a lot of cash on it. i suggest it because who, who goes in to collect cash these days well
1: i think people still do and we've discussed this before yeah, we have, haven't yeah, we, yeah, with, yeah. Uh, with drive-ins but um yeah i think people use cash more than you think Although in America, it, there's a lot of use of cashless methods of payment. And indeed, there are three times as many banks now as there were in 1970.
0: Yeah. So it begs the question, though. So um, the most popular way of robbing a bank, how does the driving compare to the walk-in?
1: Uh, I don't think it's possible to rob a bank through the drive-in <laughs> <laughs> so there's no tellers though, there you know you've got that vacuum thing. that's not <laughs> that's not gonna scare anyone and also the biggest difficulty about robbing a bank as i understand it, is getting away do you know the most common way of getting away from a bank robbery get the bus well, that would be very, very poor way of in our area because you know <laughs> the bus is. only comes once a day. Um, you'd be you'd be waiting for hours. No, by foot is the most yeah, common yeah, way of yeah. getting because obviously if you get in your car, then it'd be fairly easy for the police to you know yeah. to trace you and arrest you.
0: And of course, in a previous episode, we did talk about joining the passing parade at, as part ah. of your escape. Very, a very, very sad way of getting out of a bank robbery.
1: What other questions have I got for you, yeah, so what's the the, the biggest bank robbery of all time then, Michael I
0: have no idea
1: so well, the biggest one was conducted by Saddam Hussein in Iraq when he uh he stole one billion from the federal uh, the Federal Bank of Iraq, you know when he was uh all right. yeah, and then the second largest is also in Iraq in Baghdad. it was the Dar es Salaam bank. Uh, in 2007, 282 million was stolen there. In We're cash? not recovered. In cash? In, yes, in cash. What other questions have you got on, on bank robberies? Uh, of
0: course, if you are an aspiring bank robber, uh, 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 robber, uh, robber, <laughs> robber, uh, <laughs> Julian, um, I, I know you're not, but you've obviously got a, an interest in it. I would have yeah. thought today, the future for the bank robbery, is you don't even go into the bank. You hack into the bank's numbers. So, yeah, so Right, so, and
1: that is the biggest concern yeah, yeah, that yeah, banks yeah, have. So yeah. that's all their security has moved away from. You know, whenever they have a, a meeting of bank security people, they're all talking about cyber security. You know, this sort of bank robbery is just a, a nuisance for them. They lose a little bit of cash. They tell the police, and eventually the police will arrest the person. Usually, the the thief has spent the money by then. It's a sideshow for them. It's not something which is that they're very worried about. And indeed, the banks here are very different from the ones in the UK. And here, they're all very open. They're not sort of behind bars or behind plastic walls or something. Here, it's very open. You go up to somebody at a table and you talk to them, as you would do in a, in a, like a normal office situation.
0: You, you've been away from the UK for some time. Banks have changed, actually. Have they? Yeah. yeah. I thought you never went into them. Well, no, I don't. I, 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 but if you do go into a bank, how do you get your money? You get money out of a machine. How do you put money in? You put it into a machine. So, so yeah. you de- the, there is somebody at the front who says, what do you want to do, Mr. Moran? And you say, well, I've come to make a withdrawal, say, cash machine. Or I've made a pay-in, paying-in machine. Um, you, you may have a conversation about I want-a-loan or a mortgage or whatever, but right. the, act, act, the whole concept of the teller, and uh, I suppose my vision of American banks are quite grandiose buildings, and and, and you're right, and long queues, and then you know, money changing hands. In the UK, that's disappeared. In fact, on the high street today, we're getting fewer and fewer. You know, most yeah. banking now is done electronically. And and yeah,
1: well, here still a lot of banks. Uh, what did I say? Seventy-five thousand bank outlets. Yeah. Fewer than there were twenty years ago, but still. Three times as many as in 1970. What about films involving bank robberies? Are you a big oh. fan of that genre?
0: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we like crime, so is there any particular ones you, what you, you're you going to flag up here, Julia?
1: My favourite bank robbery film is Hell or High Water. Hell
0: or high water. Have you seen that no, film? No, I've not seen that one.
1: It's a modern Western set in West Texas about two brothers played by Chris Pine and Ben Foster who uh, go on a sort of bank robbery um, spree, and Jeff Bridges, who is the FBI local FBI agents, tracks them down, and that is a that's a stunning film. Uh, it's written by Taylor Sheridan, who did Yellowstone and Sicario and um, Wind River. Uh, it's a really fantastic modern-day Western all about okay. bank robbery. Give me the title um, again, because I will watch that, Julia. Hell or High Water. water
0: okay. my, my contribution would be a very old one. So Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, would, would, would that be up there for you?
1: Yeah, that would be...
0: Well, I don't know. Is that the one with Robert Redford? Yes, and um, Yes, I
1: have seen it. Yeah, I have seen it. Yes, but it's, it's a long time. There are a lot of films. Michael Mann's Heat... Die Hard with a Vengeance, uh, the remake of the Italian Job. Jason Statham, yeah. he's done a couple of um, bank robbery movies. Was, it,
0: was that an East End accent there, Julian? Trying to do with Statham? <laughs> Jason <laughs>
1: Statham. <laughs> <laughs> Point Break, which is the only dual genre of bank robbery and uh, surfing movies. Ocean's Eleven. Yes, well, uh, I like ba- that one. That was good. Did you Baby Driver? Did you see that movie no. set in Atlanta? That's a fantastic movie, really beautiful movie. Daughter number two's favorite movie, Now You See Me, that's all about a bank robbery. Dog Day Afternoon, there's a whole bunch, yeah. Of I like them, Dog Day you know. Afternoon, that's
0: good. Al Pesquita, yeah. yeah. good, good film.
1: A whole bunch of movies, but those tend to be all about these sort of clever people who manage to bury their way into the vault rather than you know, the people who... So is this uh, the
0: point where you you tell the story of the world's worst bank robber? Go on, Julian.
1: So we'll finish on the world's worst one. But social media has um, given us a couple of other examples. So uh, one from 2012, there was a YouTube star who robbed a bank in order to pay off her college debts. And then she made a YouTube video out of it. And then not surprisingly was caught because she made a youtube video or there was someone else recently two guys john Morgan. college
0: education was wasted
1: yeah that's right and uh, uh, you know who did a selfie of themselves robbing a bank there was an article recently uh, and i'll read it to you At 11.20am, a a man entered the Wells Fargo Bank on Old Capital Trail at the Price's Corner Shopping Centre in Wilmington, a spokesman for Delaware State Police told reporters. He handed the teller a note saying he was robbing the bank. As the 25-year-old woman was reading the note, he repeatedly said to her, I'm sorry. After reading the note, she handed over an undisclosed amount of cash and he left the bank while the teller immediately activated the emergency distress button at her teller window. Unusually, the man then stopped at the ATM machine directly outside the bank and spent several minutes depositing the money he had just stolen into his own account. He then ran behind the shopping centre where state troopers, alerted by the emergency distress signal, caught up to him and arrested him. So, I don't know whether that's the world's worst bank robbery, but I think it is fairly indicative of the modern day bank robbery.
0: Well, now, now you did tell me this story um, in advance of us doing this podcast. Yes. And I, I reflected on it. You see, I thought, to one said it, it it could be quite clever. Had he found some way of, they couldn't identify him when he went in. Yes. Um, and, and then he was paying in. Um, and even when the police, you imagine the police were rushing into the building. I'm sure they didn't that right. they wouldn't think somebody putting money into the account would no. be the person taking it out. So, you know, having said right, so that, that... They
1: saw him. They saw him doing
0: yeah, it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so, 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 so I'm, I'm going to keep him a bit of slack in that, I think, right. from ingenuity, it's it's quite a clever way of doing it. But you have got to have well thought it through.
1: Yes. I mean, maybe if he'd robbed another bank other than his own and then walked yeah. to his own bank and... Yeah. Anyway, so that's the modern-day American bank robbery.
0: Next time, Julian, we're doing Cleveland, which I haven't been to. What Americans do with the space in their house? Are we talking garages, basements? What are we talking about, Julian?
1: We're talking about, yeah, all of that stuff, but uh, essentially the living space of an American house is is at least twice the size of the average European house. So I'm going to talk a little bit about why that is and what they do with the extra space.
0: In the uh, lack of reviews for this book is disappointing. So again, I commend our listeners to give us feedback and more importantly, suggest topics that you and I should uh, uh, mull over.
1: And please make a review. We'd be very happy to... Uh, to read them out.
0: Yeah, and um, credit where credit's due. Okay, Julian, so it's good night from me, and it's.
1: It's good night from him.